Lord. Esther chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Thank you, platform workers and musicians. Thank God. Esther chapter 4. The um, U.S. government actually has trademarked the term, if you see something, say something. They trademarked it back in 2010. This has become a very familiar phrase that is used in PSA, uh, public service advertisements on the radio, and probably on television. It has become, it's shown everywhere, There's, uh, uh, it is announced in airports constantly, bus stations, train stations. If you see something, say something. This has gotten into the minds of Americans. They've begun to think about this because of acts of terrorism, school shootings, and other things that could have been prevented because if you see something, say something. It actually was James and Jennifer Crumbly who were charged with manslaughter because their son, Ethan, took a gun that his parents actually had given him for Christmas, went to a high school and killed four, four people. The conclusion of the judge is that they should have known something was off. They should have said something. In the text we're going to read, there's a young woman. She has been put into a place she still feels very insignificant and Uh, There's a number of factors that are still working against her. But her uncle comes to her and he challenges her, or her cousin, if you see something, you've got to say something. It is believer's responsibility to say something. We're truth. We have the truth in man's sinful condition. Judgment is coming. We know Jesus is coming. The rapture is going to happen. The world is going to be left to somewhat, you know, what it wants is a world without God. What, it, what it's not going to want is what it wished for. Haman is plotted to kill the Jews now. There's events that are going to transpire. She finds out. She knows. Things are going to happen, and they're going to happen very shortly and her cousin challenges her. You got to say something. I want to think about this. Out of Esther chapter three, uh, Esther chapter four, rather, beginning in verse thirteen. And Mordecai sent his reply to Esther. He's found out that Haman wants to kill the Jews, and there's going to be a day of massacre against the Jewish people. And Mordecai says to Esther, who is a Jew, don't think for a moment because you're in the palace that you'll escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. And Esther replied to Mordecai, go. And gather together all the Jews at Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or nights. My maids will do the same. And then I will go 
Then, although it's against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. Let's think about first God's dependence on people. God is designed in his plan, especially in the gospel, people. There's some, I I was a young convert, and uh, we were waiting for an evangelist. He had, his plane got delayed. He was coming from Boston down to Cape Cod, driving down. He was running late and uh, he's trying to get there on time. Person picked him up, stuck in traffic. This is before cell phones. So Pastor Stephen starts the service. We're having song service. We have a little extra long song service. He's still not there. She, so he has a, a, um, a testimony service. And in this testimony service, there was a crazy woman. Kind of why we don't do testimony services anymore. And so he says, you know, why don't you testify? And she says, you know, I was praying the other day. And I just started sending angels to the nations. I was sending angels to Africa. I was sending angels to Europe. I was sending angels to Asia. I was commanding angels. And it's like, first of all, we don't command angels. That's not the way it works. Colossians tells us we don't do that. But many people, they're looking for the answer and they think, oh, if God would just do this, or if God would just pour do a miracle or pour out His Spirit, and yet in His plan, He's designed people. You go and you preach the gospel. You go and tell God's looking for a person when often we're looking for God just to do it without us. Everything hinges on Esther at this moment. A person. Someone to speak up. She says maybe, uh, her cousin says to her, maybe you're in this place just for this purpose. You're in a location, you have influence on certain people for that reason. There's no other method or means that God is going to use. He's put Esther there for this purpose. One woman, uh, you know, you think about the whole future of the nation. This is going to be the first Holocaust. This would make Hitler's Holocaust One, unnecessary, because there wouldn't be enough Jews left. Haman wants to do this. And it's astonishing that she's a young woman, and initially, of course, she wavers, and she thinks about it, and there's, you know, although the, you know, the whole future of Israel, the whole future of people rest in this. But I think one of the reasons she hesitates is because we often think, as I believe Esther probably thought, who am I to do that? Who am I? I'm not special. I'm not the most powerful or the most interesting. We know she was good looking. That's how she got there. But a lot of us can't actually hold to that. Or maybe 
more on this side. Of, anyway, never mind. Right, we look at, this is what the world goes after, right? Talented, educated, good-looking people. That's what they present to us, put on covers of magazines. God's work hinges on people who will speak. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, Since God in His wisdom saw to it that the world should never know, uh, never know Him through human wisdom, He has used the foolishness of our preaching to save those who believe. He's just decided that this is the way it will be. Romans ten fourteen. But how shall they be uh, call upon him to be saved unless they believe on him? And how shall they believe in him unless they uh, if they've never heard about him? And how shall they hear about him unless someone tells him? Now Paul is asking rhetorical questions to get to the Roman church to think, and he's doing it backwards. We know if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. But if you how can you be saved if you've never heard, believed? And how can you believe if you've never heard? And how can you hear if no one speaks? It's rhetorical. Because the answer is, of course, someone needs to speak up. And there are people that you will influence and you will have access to and you will have the ability to speak with that maybe no other Christian will. Maybe no one at that moment of importance in your family, in your job, at your school, wherever it might be, to speak up. Because God really delights in using common, ordinary people at the center of His purpose. This is fascinating. If you begin to think, we could talk about David. We could talk about, uh, uh, you know, the mighty men of faith and valor, the mighty women uh, uh, that, uh, you know, believed God. And so, But how many times is it simply an anonymous person? When... Uh, Gideon's sons rebel and then one kills the other and he declares himself king and all that. And he begins to go after and he wants vengeance and there's just an old lady who takes a big old rock and drops it on his head. And we don't know her name. There's a little boy who had a couple of loaves of bread and some fishes. We don't know his name. Esther in our story is the reluctant hero. She's not what the Jews would have had in their mind for a savior. A young girl, an orphan, out of insignificance. Parents died somewhere in the process of being taken into captivity. This meant she probably would have been poor. She would not have been the candidate 
If you had lined up her high school class, most likely to save the nation. Yet her words are going to matter what is going to what matters the most. Her willingness to speak. The real clarity of soul winning and being effective is not the superstar or the celebrity. It's the common, ordinary people who will simply speak. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that a few of you were wise in the world's uh, eyes, or power, a few... Uh, Uh, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God uh, chose the things of the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And when he chooses those that are powerless to shame those who are powerful, God chose things despised by the world and things counted as nothing at all and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. And we, like Esther, can make the same mistake. I don't have what it takes. I don't know what to say. If I actually told somebody, you know, maybe they'd become Buddhist. I don't know. Those become cop-outs, which are usually... A mask, and we'll get to this, of fear. But think about it. A very immoral woman who is despised by the city has an encounter with Jesus, goes in, and the city of Samaria has revival. A young slave girl taken captive tells the Syrian general, how he can get healed. The woman of the issue of blood, it says in the text, heard about Jesus. One of my favorite candidates that you would think is just totally beyond is the Gadarene demoniac. Jesus touches him, sets him free, does a miracle for him. And the Bible says, Mark 5, 18 through 20, and as Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had a demon possessed, uh, the man who had been demon possessed begged him to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home and tell your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns, the Decapolis, the uh, Decropolis, it's the ten cities. He started off to visit the ten towns in the region and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed of what he had told them. Not exactly the theological seminary graduate that is going to understand all the inner workings of all 613 laws. Just someone who had an experience with Jesus who can go and tell him. 
See, because the devil knows if he can silence your voice, he can allow destruction to happen behind you. Our job is to speak up and get people saved. You may not feel that you're qualified or you know enough. You may feel like people get offended when you talk to them about Jesus. Man, I ruined their day. Good. Big picture, they're going to hell without Jesus. A ruined day might be the best thing that happens to them. Maybe you're embarrassed, ashamed. Maybe I I have no time. The most effective Bible, you know, soul winners in the Bible were people who just had an encounter with Jesus. John 9.25, the man who had been healed, the blind man. The religious are questioning him. They're saying, Jesus is a sinner. Admit he's a sinner. And and the blind man who had gotten healed said, I don't know whether he's a sinner. Not John 9.25. I don't know if he's a sinner. But I do know this. I was blind and now I see. You don't have to know a ton of theology. It helps to know a few scriptures. But that's what people can argue with. Change lives. Miracles. I've shared the story in Cork, Ireland when I was there. My wife and I were there. Full of religion on the streets. I don't mean, I, you know, from the Jehovah Witnesses to the Mormons. They'd be on the streets. The, the Catholics would hold a street meeting. Muslims would hold a street meeting. Have a little table, discover Islam. The Hare Krishnas would come by, singing, chanting. I mean, it was a bizarrely religious place. I mean, yeah, you haven't lived till you've seen a Catholic street meeting. You really haven't. And I'm praying one day, God, what's it going to take? Miracles. Change like converted life because you know what you can argue doctrine and books and all that. And I did. I went round and round with some Muslims. I went round and round with some Mormons. I went round and round with some Catholics that were on that. You know, but it changed life. Simply an encounter with Jesus. Let's talk about the heart of a soul winner because this is not always an easy understanding or to grasp a hold of. Some people have the idea that, you know what, if I was going to be a soul winner, it would just come easy. It's not my gifting. Apparently right now, 95% of Christians have never won another soul to Christ. Less than 80% of Christians have any kind of consistent witnessing in their life. And if you want to figure that out, like prayer, you want to know how faithful to prayer you are? When's the last time you prayed? When's the next time you plan to pray? That'll, that will, that's a summary of your prayer life right there. 
Your evangelistic wife, when's the last time you witnessed? And when's the next time you plan on witnessing? It's that simple. Less than 2% of Christians are involved in a ministry of evangelism. 64% of Christians believe that evangelism is actually optional. 71% do not give any money towards the Great Commission. Barnes is a uh, Barnes is a uh, statistic gathering media source about the Christian church. And in an article on their website, it said Christians are not spreading the gospel. New research reveals that American Culture and Faith Institute shows that surprisingly few few adults, including born again Christians, feel a personal responsibility to share their faith with non believers. The scary part of that is that right now, non-believers are very open to someone approaching them to talk about what they believe. Some people can say, well, I had it then. I burned out zeal. My vision kind of changed. Reduce evangelism to simply a program. Oh, I'm part of the program. I work behind the scenes. Esther had to overcome her fear. Verse 11 of chapter 4, we didn't read it, but it said, All the king's officials and even the people in the province know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited, is doomed to die unless he holds out the golden scepter. And the king had not called for me to come for him these 30 days. She's got to go. She's intimidated. Now, most of us aren't going to die. But maybe you're afraid what they're going to say about you on Facebook. Another reason I don't have Facebook. Think about the cultural barriers. She, a Jew, has to go before a pagan king and plead her case for God's people. We could talk about the age difference. The king was probably much older than her. Which makes it the fact that he married her a little weird, but the gender difference. Whatever it might be that you would think, I can't do this. Those things aren't done. And I get nervous if guys are always focusing on talking to the girls or vice versa. But before she spoke up, she had to overcome this. People at work, people at school, what are they going to say about you? Everyone wants to be liked and accepted. We don't want to be threatened. We don't want to be ostracized. We don't want to be labeled. 
But silence won't help the people who need it the most. Acts Acts 18, verse 19. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. Curious, why would God have to say something to the Apostle Paul? Man's going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He's revelation, insight into the Word of God like you and I could only dream of, you know. And yet he even had to face this. So the fact that you have to face it isn't shocking. We don't have to worry about dying physically but maybe to self a little bit. Maybe the issue, we got to die a little bit to ourselves. She says, go gather all the Jews at Susha. Fast for me. I don't eat or drink for three days or nights. I'll do the same, my maids and I. Then though it's against the law, I will go see the king. And if I must die, I must die. You know, I've been in countries where it's illegal. Where the police could come in at any moment. Shared with you Abu Dhabi. I preached in China. You know, uh, I was nervous. I'll just share this with you. When I'm preaching for one of the guys, he wants to go street preaching. He wants me to go with him. And I'm praying. I'm like, God, I'll, I'll do it. But, I, you know, I can't hide. I can't just drift away. I don't know if you know this, but I don't look like most Chinese people. I don't. It happened to rain really hard that day. I was with Pastor Sergei Golubov. And I was preaching for him on a Sunday, and they were having a baptism down at the river. And he said, Keith, just hang back. And sure enough, the police came and they started taking pictures. And he told me, if they come and start taking pictures, just turn and walk away. You were an American tourist who just happened to stop to see the spectacle. They came, they took some pictures, and then they left. So I was able to go out and get in the car with Pastor Golubov. We don't face that here. I mean, they may come and break up a street meeting now and then or whatever, but... But often it's the social, it's the intimidation, the possible rejection. For her to speak, she had to be willing to die literally. Do we have to be willing to die a little bit on the inside? Ego, bruising. Recognize your place if you keep silent. God, deliverance will rise up for the Jews from another place. But you and your relatives might die, and perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Sometimes you have to really just grasp a hold. If God's helped you this far, he's not going to leave you. If he told you to go and tell somebody about Jesus, he's not going to leave you out there and go, ha, 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 sucker. He's going to be with you. He's going to help you. 
In the book of Ezekiel, the term is watchman. Ezekiel three sixteen and 17, after seven days, the Lord gave me a message and he said, Son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for Israel. Whenever you receive a message from me, warn the people immediately. He says, you're going to receive message. Your job is going to be to warn the people. Think about what Esther is dealing with here. If she remains silent, there's going to be much loss of life. And God has put her in this place that she could help save people. Part of that is God's love. God's love for people is why he saved you. Yes, he loves you, but he also saved you to make a difference in others. Joseph makes this statement to his brothers. Don't be afraid of me. Am I, in, am I God that I will punish you? Indeed, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good, and he brought this Brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Joseph, beat up by his brethren, sold into slavery, years of prison, exalted to second in command to save people. You do have a story to tell. Maybe you're a church kid and you never touched alcohol. Maybe your first kiss was at the altar with your spouse. Whatever it is. That's a more powerful story than I was a really messed up sinner and done a lot of stupid things. But whatever it is, you have a story to tell. But you've got to speak up. Tilly Smith was a 10-year-old girl. She was on vacation in 2004 with her family in Thailand. When they were on the beach, she noticed something very unusual, and she recognized what was going on. The receding water, the frothing bubbles on the surface of the sea, Because two weeks earlier in geography class, she had learned what a tsunami is and how it looks. These are her words. The sea was high on the sand, and I noticed that the waves were coming in but not going out. I've seen this somewhere. I felt a terrible thing was going to happen. I started saying to my parents, but they said to me, Don't be silly. Tilly, the weather is just bad. And insisted we just carry on. And then I noticed a log springing around and around and around, spinning around and around and around in the sea. And suddenly it hit me. Tsunami. All the things I was seeing had been in the video that I had just saw in my geography class. Western world had never heard the word, including Tilly or her parents at that point. I started shouting, tsunami. There's going to be a tsunami. 
And of course, they didn't know what I was talking about. By now, I was in complete panic. I was shouting, we have to get off the beach. We have to run. My sister Holly got freaked out and started crying hysterically. My dad decided to walk back to the hotel with her to calm her down, but my mom refused to leave. She kept walking, and we were getting further and further away from the hotel, and I was screaming, Mom, please, please come back with me. I was saying, if you don't come back with me, we won't survive. I remember seeing people in the sea on the beach, and I thought, we're going to die. Pointing at the yellow lifeguard uh, hut, that's a good half a mile from the beach, Away from the hotel, we decided that we, uh, we reached there and I pleaded with my mom to stop. I didn't want to leave her, but I started running back to the hotel. When I got back to, the, uh, to my dad with a Japanese security guard, I know this sounds completely mad, but my daughter is saying there's going to be a tsunami. In Japan, they know all about tsunamis and it is guarded. I think she's right. He told, uh, then he told us that there had been a huge earthquake in the Indian Ocean. Yes, yes, tsunami, tidal wave. He began to shout to the people on the beach, and immediately my family was, uh, there was a family kayaking in the sea, and uh, people in the pool and everywhere started running in sheer panic. We started screaming at my mom, who was running back. I was praying that she was going to make it. She was one of the last to get off the beach. I saw the sea had completely gone out now, which meant the tsunami was right on top of us. I shouted, run, run at everyone. I remember my family's kids screaming. There was a wall of water coming towards us. I lost sight of my dad and I ran towards the hotel lobby, which was on the upper floor. The water was flooding into the hotel. There was crashing and banging and roaring of sea. And there were hundreds of people in the lobby screaming. People didn't know what to do, and I knew I was there. There was going to be aftershocks from what I had learned in that class and more waves. So I told the people to stay on high ground. My dad, I found my dad and thank God my mom was with him. We hugged each other tightly crying. It was only later when the family saw the TV reports of the devastation that we realized how lucky we had been. Tilly says, no one on our beach died. We realized that hundreds of thousands had when we saw the news. My mom and dad were in shock. Tilly, Tilly, what if we hadn't listened to you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. That tsunami killed hundreds of thousands of people. One day, wiped out, but no one on Tilly's beach died because one 10-year-old girl spoke up and warned people of what's coming. We're living in a day, we're entering summer, it's a great time for outreach, but we're also entering politics and all that will heat up and people will be obsessed with that and, oh, this candidate will be better than this guy or that girl or whatever. How about Jesus is coming? How about tribulation and judgment of sin? It's all coming. We have the answer. Could we speak up? Maybe you're here this evening. You've come and 
Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. There's judgment coming. You might live for another 80 years, but eventually you will face and stand before a holy God. And if you stand before Him in your sinful state, you will be lost. You can't be good enough. You can't earn it. It's what Jesus did on the, cal- on the cross of Calvary that gives you the opportunity to know forgiveness, to know what it is to be saved. And if you're here tonight, you're not right with God, you're not saved, I wonder if you'd very quickly slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? There's a tsunami of judgment coming in my life on planet Earth in the United States, and I want to get my heart right. Before that time, I want to be saved. Anyone at all. Maybe you're backslidden, you're away from God. You once knew Jesus, but you turned away. Very quickly, you'd slip up your hand and say, pray for me. I want to get my heart right with God. I'm not saved, I'm backslidden. I need to pray. Would you pray for me, preacher? I need God to help me. Anyone at all. You once knew God, turned away. Changing the call then to Christians. It is our responsibility. There's no other way to say it. We have to outreach like we are the only church in the city of Outreach. Thank God we're not, but we have to think about this. We are running a rescue mission. Sinners. We'll use everything we can. Concerts, plays, revivals. Whatever it, whatever. But you know what most effective is? It's just people telling others about Jesus. What God has done in your life. Because judgment is coming. If you leave them there on the beach, they're going to just be another tragedy. We have a great opportunity to serve God and be His voice. If you see something, Say something. Let's all stand. We're going to open up these altars. Sing a song. Worship His name. Allow people to talk to God. He is the image of the invisible God.
magnify. We bless you, Lord, God of the ages, highest of all. We magnify you. Your name will be exalted, exalted, exalted. Him praise this evening. Father, we love you. Oh,